Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, and welcome to this iteration of Faster Than a Stand-Up. I'm Brent Lamont. I'm Mark Herval. I'm Patrick Dodd. And joining us, friend of the pod, you've heard him on multiple episodes, Ryan Utek out of SAP Field Glass. Ryan. Hello. So today we're having a conversation about when teams share resources across multiple teams. So Patrick, you had a question when we were actually doing prep for this. Yes, Brent. Are we talking about <laughs> dual-role scrum masters or dual-role product owners? What a great question. No, we're actually talking about people as resources. So if you are a development team and you have uh, QE engineers or designers that work on multiple teams, that is what we're talking about today. So I'm going to start with Patrick. Patrick, tell me about one of the things you run into when it comes to how teams share resources. So the main thing that I run into uh, when teams share resources is it, it's never quite honest about how much of that person's time is being used. It's, it's never 50%. It's never 25%. It's always either more or less, usually less. Um, and so what I always do is default back to the scrum values, focus, courage, commitment, openness, and respect, and talk about how um, we have to be open about what we can actually contribute. And we have to have the courage to speak up when we're at our 50%. Um, and the focus in sprint planning to talk about what we can actually commit to. So like if we have, um, you know, if each person on average does about 12 story points per sprint, then the person who's at 50% commits to six story points per sprint. And then in the first go around in sprint planning, if that person goes, whoa, that's too much. We never talked about this. Then we say, well, this is 50%. So let's talk about this. Is that right. percentage actually different? So well, and it could, so, and that's interesting because you could have somebody who on another team, 50% is not six points or 50% is, you know, it's like what can, so it, to me, it goes back to the, here's what we think 50% means. Can you as a, as a member of this team commit to that much work? And some people may say, oh yeah, I can get all of that done. Right. So you have to have way more. Uh, interaction and a lot more conversation that happens as part of that. So 50% right? is not tied to points. 50% is, is tied to time. Yeah, mm -hmm. right. And it's one of those conundrums that you're going to run into is do points equal time? No, no. points, right? No, <laughs> said everyone ever. And if you, if somebody says, oh no, points equal time, please reach out to us at info at faster than standup.com because we will gladly have that conversation with you. We'll take you out to the dumpster and show you how we do things downtown. <laughs> I swear that is the biggest thing people always come back to. How many oh, hours yeah. is a point every yeah. time? No. Yep. And, and when I tend to sometimes use it, but it's not even like one hour or two. It's like here, this broad value, this broad value, start getting it days, weeks, months. <laughs> right. But you, there, and, that's how many hours, the, months. <laughs> and the thing that I've run into for a variety of teams that I've worked with is that you have, it's like the opening conversation when you start working with a team is someone's going to say, so yeah, we think that two points equals an hour. I was like, says who? Who's time? I mean, and we've covered that in multiple multiple episodes on this podcast. So this is not new material for anybody. So here's where it's really tough. Let's suppose that I'm a UX designer and I'm supposed to be, for argument's sake, 50% on two teams helping them with their stuff, right? 
And, and because it's about 50%, it's based on time. On a given week, I may be splitting my time up 50-50 between the two teams, but it's not as if I'm going to do eight to noon, noon to four, right? Completely. I'm going to be periodically working two days in a row for a particular team to because it's most efficient for for that for that particular team. The other one is the other team's going to be like, hey, you're you're a bottleneck now. Like we we needed you to look at this thing, right? And so how it's it's super tough to be able to then split that up if you're really trying to stay to that fifty percent. That's why it keeps pushing over, which is yeah, yeah, I'll I'll get to that right away. And then I'm asked to, you know, I'm working later because I had to finish this thing because I was a bottleneck. And and one of the things inherent with splitting between people, or people splitting between teams, is they are by definition more likely to become a bottleneck. It's contact switching. And I think we all recognize that people have a hard time being able to contact switch between multiple ideas and multiple things. And especially when you're in a creative space. So if you're a writer or if you're a designer or you know, anything that involves where you have to sit down and actually concentrate on doing the thing in a short timeline. Yeah, I know. Mark's laughing because he's probably doing the, yeah, we're not saying that developers are creative. <laughs> no, I, I was no, going to no. throw developers out there, actually. <laughs> no, because no, it, it's fair. It's a creative Any, aspect. I love Yep. Anyone on a team, let's, well, and to be fair, anyone on a team is going to have to do some contact switching. And it's rough on that. It's rough on the person. It's rough on the team. It's rough on everybody involved. And it's the reason why I think a lot of people like to stand on the book. You know what I like to call standing on the book. And they say, look, if you're a part of this team, you're part of this team. You can't be partially part of this team. And it's like the world doesn't work that way. Well, the reason I was laughing, though, is what flashed through my mind was Melville sitting down and he's writing. and he, he writes down, call me Ishmael. And then the next thing is, no, I don't want breakfast. Leave me alone. <laughs> so Moby Dick ends up being this long because that's what he could get done by the deadline because of all the interruptions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah. And I think it's an interesting point on um, becoming a bottleneck and having capacity bleed over because of that. And I think that yeah. actually stems from not doing a good enough job in sprint planning for identifying areas that will become a bottleneck within the sprint. We don't talk well, about. Yeah, I was going to say, we also talked about the fact that there's kind of two versions of shared between teams. Let's take Q, QE. Sometimes QE is going to be doing end-to-end kind of testing across features that span multiple teams, which is by design. So that's where you'd expect someone would, would do, do that. And the question that came up for the QE person that was assigned to that is, am I supposed to show up for every event so I know what's going on? Because right. I will have no time to do QE, right? Right. So yeah. how? So what we said is, you know, probably show up certainly for the scrum of scrums and or like the retro, or not so the uh, sprint reviews, because that gives you an overview of what's going on. But to a certain extent, you should be elevated above the, the day-to-day and more like what features are going to be delivered on in total so that you can do some testing. Although, um, you then, know, Mark, I'm going to say it depends because there are going to be some times where people are going to, they need to be in the day-to-day so that they can have an awareness. Right, but there can't be an expectation, as was originally said, that you're going to be in every single stand-up so you know what's going on, even though most of the time it's not going to apply to you, right? Sure. Right. Um, and, then, and then we also talk about the fact that they're going to be, let's say, let's suppose a feature gets split between teams and then a person who's kind of the key piece on that feature is required to split between teams. And that's where you want to kind of start to drive a wedge to say, this doesn't make a lot of sense. We should do our decomposition better so that a person does not have to, a developer, for example, does not have to do work on two separate teams for 
for a single feature, but rather consolidate that kind of work under a single team. Yeah. Ryan, you live this day in and day out. Yeah, What's exactly. I was just going to say oh, that. In, in many different ways, too. And it's different because uh, so I work with operations teams in IT, and it's interesting as they're building a cloud environment uh, to move stuff off of main hardware that they also manage manage and maintain that they also have to try to learn to build this new thing and there's some dedicated resources specifically to building that new thing but there's a big majority that are just keeping the infrastructure alive that's there and it's very hard to push this big new initiative with a tiny amount of resources and unknown capacity from the rest right some yeah. days it's really easy others there's we need it or here's one initiative comes down that says hey we're doing a data center migration now it's like oh we were planning on launching in april this is taking well over half of our team away completely for the next three months it's like right. okay that changes capacity that changes planning there's a current the current team i'm working on now is building more of process around this as well and defining services out of the organization and which is really interesting there is that we don't want 100% capacity towards this team that's doing the work um, because we want them to get, be able to get back into their parts of the organization and reflect the changes and the style and what we're developing into those areas. Without them being able to get back out there, that team's gonna lose connection with, and their viewpoint isn't gonna be recognized on the team that's trying to discuss the big issues right now. So well, I think that brings up something. for that too. Yeah, I think that brings up something is talking about the metrics across those teams, right? Because what do you find that does to your team's metrics? Because people like to say, hey, what does my burn down look like? What, what kind of capacity are we gonna run into? Is this predictable? Is this repeatable? And talk about how that impacts the metrics that you guys deal with. Because you know, if you look at it on a sprint to sprint basis, on a person, you know, people related basis, what does that look like? Interesting enough, there's some individuals that you see more involved in some of the communications, um, but people aren't involved in every single event throughout the sprint either because they just can't. They, they're like their managers in their own right, they're their own teams. So they, they have to be able to be off. We've kind of had this new trust that's been built. We're, we're up to sprint 10 now uh, and they got it. We've kind of got it, right? They, they, they work as a team. We're trusting that we're building the best thing. We're adding the right peer reviews and making sure that, hey, though three of us developed it, the rest of the eight others understand what we've just done before the sprint review a little bit. Um, and continue the conversations. Also, based on this new epiphany that, hey, the team has gotten to a point of how do we measure our progress in this now? How do we help tell if we're healthy, if we're operating correctly? Because our capacity is so awkward, right? We have people that have maybe 5% capacity, 10% capacity. Is that unhealthy? Not necessarily. It depends if the stakeholders want faster velocity and the outputs to go faster. If so, yes, we need those velocities to change or those capacities to change so our velocity can, can increase. But we're making progress. We're still moving forward. Things are happening um, and people are working together. It's great to see multiple parts of the organization really coming together to hit the problem right. And nobody else has, there's no another solution on the table and why would there need to be? Everybody that is part of the solution, we're all here. We're having the conversation. Everybody's leaning in. It's great. So it's interesting when you talk about velocity for that, because if you stand on the book, anytime you start adding and subtracting people in, if we're doing it the way we're supposed to do it, we should have new working agreements every time. And we should have, you know, new rules of engagement for how everything happens. Imagine the churn that happens if we stand on the book enough to say, you can't have somebody come in part way 
It's like, which one do you want? Do you want no work or do you want no work? So how about we get some work yes. and adjust accordingly? Yeah. And it's been pretty consistent, our capacities. So we just kind of took a, a shot in the dark on most of them. In some cases, like if everybody showed up to one of the events, like all the events through this, throughout the sprint, you're still at 5% already. You already hit 5%, yeah. 10% of your time. So if you're thinking eight hours is 10% of your time or so or 25 percent of your time so uh it it's crazy it, it gets into some interesting conversations because it doesn't have to be right right that one percent could be fine but it should probably be more <laughs> um 10 percent you're getting in the right conversations and the, the conversations are going the right direction you're seeing people with 30 40 60 percent capacity work's getting done at that, yep. that point like they're able to take on the initiatives themselves. Whereas then the people with lower capacity are there to join in the conversation more than help uh, do the, some of the physical documentation stuff that may need to be done afterwards. Right I'll on, tell Mark. you a particular problem that occurred with this. So there was a team that needed UX to look at, at something and kind of come up with a general design. Uh, UX said, you know, we'll loan you this person like 5% of the time, but that wasn't enough. And so they finally said, okay, to heck with this. We're not going to wait anymore. We're going to do, we're going to design it ourselves. And they did. And they had a, after they launched it, they showed customers, like, what did you think about it? And it, and it pegged on two uh, factors. Uh, it pegged high. It was beautiful. They really liked the rewrite. It was very, very pretty. It pegged really, really low. And they could not figure out how to use the stupid thing. They could not figure out how to get through the process that was in that page before that was fairly easy to do. Like, people hated the new, the new flow. And it, it, the, the UX was grander than just the look and feel. It also was the flow. And I'm not faulting the team. They were not experts in this. And they did what they thought was a good enough job. But when push came to shove, they said, we just cannot get the capacity necessary to, to have someone help us out of this other team. We're going to do it on our own. That then caused a conversation that says, there are certain things by which you have to have them engaged early on. And maybe later on, you can, that can attenuate. And one of the graphs of UX was like early on, if you get them involved and you put in a lot of time there, you, you have less need of them given, you know, the project proceeding. Um, so, you know, maybe initially that 5%, I mean, in this case, the 5% was a bad idea. We should have potentially put in some more time, right? And then once that's like, here's the flow, here's the general look, if it's off by a little bit or, you know, it's the hex values are slightly different and it's, you know, maybe it's not quite as, you know, readable or something, that's okay. We, we haven't had such a fundamental problem. Now, because we're agile, we were able to make all those changes, kick, you know, pull it, you expect and say, oh, please help us. This is not going over well with customers. But okay. sometimes that. All right, that's good <laughs> enough for now. That's the end of this iteration. I'm Brent. I'm Mark. I'm Patrick. And I'm Ryan. Until the next iteration, you can give us a rating at your podcast provider. Shoot us an email at info at fasterthanstandup.com or you can find us on Twitter at Faster Stand Up. Thanks for listening. And that was Faster Than a Stand-Up.